are some things you shouldn't do yourself, uh, no matter how interesting they look. I, I am on my third attempt to teach a child how to drive. I've had two practice runs, and uh, we're, we're to number three now. And uh, those of you who've had this wonderful experience, a uh, number of challenges. Uh, one of them is strategically introducing more complex driving opportunities uh, because uh, you, want, you want to put them in as many different situations as possible while you're in the car because you know they're going to want to take the car by themselves once they get 16 and you want to have guided them through multiple different circumstances, but you don't want to introduce them too quickly. Right? You want to make sure they're ready for whatever the circumstances are, but you only have 12 months. You don't want to get to the 11th month and realize you forgot to tell them a whole bunch of things. So it's sort of that sequencing problem. But the challenge with the number three is I can never remember what I've said and what I haven't said, right? Because this is the, I've already done this twice. And so with number three, I find I end up repeating myself over and over again, which I don't know how your kids are. My kids love that. They love when dad says the same thing over and over again. And so I, I find myself repeating the same instructions. Uh, one of my go-to instructions, I may have even shared this with you, maybe repeating it to you. Uh, one of my go-to instructions with them is keep your eyes on the road. Right? Keep your eyes on the road because, especially if you're a young, inexperienced driver, wherever your eyes are, the car is going to tend to follow. Right? If, you're, if you get distracted by something over there, the car is going to drift that way. That you and the car follow wherever you're looking. And that's a, that can be applied to a lot of things in life, including worship, this topic that we're talking about right now. Our worship tends to gravitate in the direction of whatever we're looking at, whatever we're preoccupied with. And in some ways, that's what worship is, getting preoccupied with something, putting my affection, my attention on something. Uh, last week, we said one of the ways to monitor what you're worshiping is to, to evaluate what do you talk about the most? What gets the most space on your calendar? What eats up your clock? What, where do you put energy and focus? Where do your resources tend to go? Because whatever you're focused on, whatever you're looking towards or looking at, that tends to get your, your worship and your life begins to drift in that direction. Most people who end up walking away from God or drifting away from the church, that's usually what happens is other things start becoming important to them and they get their life oriented toward other things and they just kind of drift away. It's why some people get to a point in their life and, and they remember, I was really involved in church at one time. I was involved in the youth group at one time. I did this. I served this area. I was in a community group. I, all of these things I did. And then one day I wake up and realize I don't even remember the last time I went to worship. It, it wasn't a sudden just kind of drop out. It, it was probably I just got to looking at other things and my life gravitated toward those things and away from God. And, and people tend to blame the church or blame the pastor or blame some experience that happened in 
churches aren't perfect and pastors aren't perfect and we've all had experiences. But when you really look at it, for most people who find themselves far from God at some point in their life when they used to be close to God, they just started looking at other things. Other things just started getting prioritized in their life and God started getting bumped down that list. You see, our, our worship, my worship, is driven by my vision, what I'm looking at, what I'm focused on, what I'm distracted by, what, what I'm oriented toward. That defines, in so many ways, what I'm worshiping because it defines what the priority of my life is. And, it, and it's not just what I'm looking at, but it's the, the accuracy of how I see what I'm looking at. My worship is driven by both the direction that I'm looking, but also how accurately I'm viewing this thing that I'm focused on. Probably most of us would say, whether we know somebody like this or not, most of us would say there are people that worship money, they worship material possessions, they worship stuff or houses or cars it's not just because they're looking at those things. It's because they think those things are going to bring a measure of fulfillment, which they're not. Right? I mean, some short-term, some short-term happiness. But as far as long-term sustained meaning and fulfillment, material possessions don't bring purpose and meaning. They don't sustain us through difficult times. But when I'm worshiping those things, it's because I'm viewing them inaccurately. I think they can do something for me that they can't do. People view relaxation, recreation the same way. If I could just get away enough, if I just took enough vacations, if, if I just had enough downtime and that starts becoming priority for them, they start drifting in that direction. But they realize what they don't realize yet is that a year from now, two years, five years, all the vacations in the world, they don't sustain us through difficult times. They don't give purpose and meaning and, and add value and lasting joy uh, to our lives. Even when we look at other people, like some, some of us, our priority, our worship revolves around a person, a spouse, somebody we're dating, our kids, our family. And and we view another person as having the ability to fill up my needs or fill up my fulfillment or make me happy, provide lasting joy. The problem with our worship is we're not viewing the object of our worship accurately. And so bad worship is not just I'm worshiping the wrong thing. It's I'm expecting something from what I'm worshiping that it can never provide. It can never do for me. This is one of the reasons God commands us not to worship anything but Him. When you read the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, God is frequently asking for our worship, commanding our worship, commanding that we not worship anything above Him. And some of us read that and we think, wow, that's a that's a pretty insecure God. Like, did God create a whole world just so people would bow down to Him and worship Him? No. Uh, God, God doesn't need our worship. God knows we need to worship Him. For one reason, He's the only one worthy of our worship. 
He's the only one powerful enough and loving enough and good enough. He's the creator of all things. He's the only one worthy of first place. But God also knows if he's not in first place, then something is going to be in first place that's not going to fulfill our needs. Something is going to get in first place that can't give us hope and joy and lasting peace and lasting purpose. So God says, look, keep me in first place so nothing else gets there. Because anything else we put there other than God is going to disappoint us. When we worship God above all else, we're protected from worshiping lesser things. When we keep Him first, that protects us from allowing other things to get in first place. Because if you and I don't get first place right, we can't get any of the other places right. Now, all of the things that I mentioned, money and family and relaxation and recreation and, and other people and spouses and fam, meaningful people in our lives, all of those are important. All of those need a place of priority in our lives. They just, they can't fulfill first place. So God over and over says to us, keep me first so that nothing else that will be unfulfilling gets in first, but also because we, we view everything else in, in the list through the lens of whatever's first. We just do. Whatever's first shapes everything that comes after it. So when God is first... God shapes my view and my interaction of my family and my spouse and my children. My, my, my view of God, if He's in first, influences, impacts my view of, of money and stuff and houses and cars and things. It, it, it shapes my view of recreation. It shapes my view of the world. Whatever's in first influences Everything else that comes after it. So we worship God because He deserves it. He's worthy of it. But also because it protects me from worshiping the wrong things. When I accurately worship God, it means not only He's first, but it also means I'm viewing Him correctly. Like I'm understanding that He alone deserves that spot. Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, interesting uh, incident in his life in Isaiah 6. We referenced it last week. Isaiah gets to see into heaven. He gets to look into heaven and see what's going on. And this is what he finds. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple... Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. That would get your attention, right? If you got home and you saw this, that would get your attention. That would draw your eye away from whatever else you're doing. 
this afternoon. That's, that was the situation with Isaiah. The king had died. He had been, for the most part, incredibly successful king. There had been a season of prosperity for the nation. And now he's dead. And God steps into the life of Isaiah and says, I want to make sure you're looking at the right thing during this season. I don't want you to get distracted by what's in front of you that you miss who's over you. So look up here. Look, look and see me, God, high and exalted. The train of his robe is filling the temple. I want you to look at the right things because you and I tend to get distracted by those things that are right in front of us. We tend to get distracted by those things that are calling for our attention. But in, in order to truly worship God, our eyes have to be looking in the right direction. Our eyes have to remember that no matter what's happening in front of me, there is a great, powerful, beautiful, loving, forgiving, good God that is over me. All throughout the Old Testament, when God's people began to get in trouble, it was because they began to get distracted. Right? They were worshiping God. God was first in their lives. God was first in their nation. They were, they were listening to God's commands and obeying God's leadership. And then all of a sudden, they started saying, yeah, but we want to be like them. Yeah, but we want to do what they're doing. Why can't we do that? What, shouldn't we be more like them? And their eyes went from God high and exalted and lifted up to all of the things that were around them. This is when we lose the ability to worship God, is when our eyes go from the greatness of God to the smallness of everything that's around me, and I get distracted. David gives us some, some instruction about our worship in Psalm 34, verse 3. David says, Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. Now, if you have the NIV version, it says glorify, but almost all the other translations say magnify the Lord with me. What does it mean to magnify the Lord? Well, it doesn't mean that we make Him bigger. You and I aren't, we aren't capable of making God bigger. God, David isn't saying, come on, if we sing enough, if we worship enough, then God gets bigger. Well, God doesn't get bigger. He's already huge. He's already powerful. And it's not like a magnifying glass. Ever use a magnifying glass? Magnifying glass is to make something look bigger, even though it's not. It's to give it the appearance of being bigger, even though it's not. D David isn't saying, come on, let's all pretend that God is really big. Come on, let's, let's make God out to be something he's not. That's not what David is saying. It's more like glasses. I wear glasses almost all the time now because my eyes are old and tired. They help me see what's really there. Right? Without these, I could not tell you what is here. I would have no clue what is on this page. With glasses, I see accurately what is here. My vision gets changed to see what's really there. That's what David's saying. David's saying, come on, let's, let's worship together. Let's, start, let's sing. Let's pray. Let's confess. 
Let's come together and lift God up so that we would see Him for how He really is. High and exalted and over all things that my view of God would get bigger. Not that God gets bigger. For God is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving and kind and good and He's just and He's merciful and He's full of truth and He's gracious and He sent His Son to redeem us. David is saying, let's see God for who He really is because in the lives that we live, we get distracted by all of these small things and we forget just how big God is. Let's see God for who He is. He really is. You see, God's already huge. We just need to see him for who he is. We need clarity. And David is saying, the Old Testament would say, the New Testament would say, worship is one of the main ways that we do that. Um, when we have a small view of God, a small view of God is going to produce small worship of God. This, this is the importance of having an accurate view of, of the person that we're worshiping. Because when we have a small view of God, it results in small worship. Right? Itty-bitty view of God means itty-bitty worship. Big view of God means big worship. Viewing God as powerful means powerful worship. Sometimes in the Old Testament, when they were going into battles, they would put the worshipers out front, like the musicians and the priests and the singers, and they're, they're worshiping God as they're marching towards battle. Itty-bitty worship doesn't prepare us for battle. Little-bitty worship can't be put out on the front lines. Only big worship. Only when you and I see God for who He is and what He's capable of. The problem is we tend to get distracted by little things in our life and forget that we serve a big God. We tend to get distracted by the little things that are right in front of us. And we lose sight of the fact that we serve a big God. And we come in here every week from different backgrounds and experiences carrying different burdens different stress levels. Oh, we, we have different schedules this coming week. Some of us got a great week to look forward to. Like we're excited about some things that are coming up this week. Some of us are burdened by some things that are coming up this week. We bring a whole lot into this room every Sunday morning. And part of the message of worship, part of the message from God is, can you not look at the little things right in front of you and can you look at the big God that's reigning over you? Can you not look at the little things that are pulling for your attention and trying to distract you? And can you look at the big God who is over all of it? And I know there's some things about your life and my life we don't understand. Like we don't understand why the big God's not intervening sooner, but that doesn't change the fact that He's still a big God and He's still reigning over us and He's still in complete control and you and I can trust Him. So David says, come, let's magnify the Lord. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. But if you back up a couple of verses, if you back up to the beginning of that chapter, it starts like this. This is David speaking. I will extol the Lord at all times. 
His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. So the psalm starts with David saying, look, I'm already doing this. I'm in. I'm praising God. I'm lifting him up. I don't understand everything that's going on. We're going to come back to this chapter in two weeks. This is not a good moment in the life of David. And he declares, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to see him as big God. I'm not going to look at the little things in front of me. I'm going to look at the big God that's over me. I'm going to worship, and then I'm going to, I want you to come worship with me. A couple of truths from Psalm 34. Collective worship, corporate worship, us coming together, collective worship is enhanced by individual worship. Collective worship, us coming together is enhanced when we can each come into this room and say, like, I've already been worshiping. I just, I just came so that my worship could get with your worship. And we could worship, but I've already been worshiping. Worship is not something that I do on Sunday. It's not something I do once a week. I have been worshiping all week, and we're going to come together and put our individual worship together, but I'm already there. What? How Sunday would change. If Sunday became the product of all the worship we had been doing individually during the week, Like if we took Monday through Saturday, put our eyes on a great big God, worshiped him during the week, and then we brought that into Sunday morning and multiplied it times the number of people that are here, I think worship would be different. I think worship would change if there was individual worship happening before we ever got here. So I just want to encourage you. Find ways, Monday through Saturday. Maybe it's worship music. Maybe that's your thing. Find worship music that moves you and speaks to you and encourages you. Listen to it. Sing to it. Sing in the car. Nobody else is going to hear, right? Nobody's going to hear how you sound. Just sing in the car. Read the Psalms. They're full of prayers. They're full of songs. Read the scriptures. Read the descriptions of God. This is what God is like. This is what his character is like. This is why I can trust him. This is why I don't have to just look at the little things in my life, but I can look at the big God that's over me. Collective worship is enhanced when we're each individually worshiping. But individual worship isn't a substitute for collective worship. Like what I do on my own is not a substitute for us coming together. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I find that in this setting, when we come together, my worship gets deeper and broader because you're here. There are often times that as we're worshiping, I see you worshiping and it encourages my heart to worship. I, I see you lift your hand and it reminds me, man, we ought to lift our hands to the Lord. I see your face as you're singing and it encourages me. Like there, is a, there is a depth, there is a passion for worship that, yes, it can flow out of individual worship, but it gets multiplied when we worship collectively. You, you know what else encourages me when we worship, when we magnify the Lord together? Is I know a lot of your stories. So, so when we're singing Revelation song, 
I know what God's been doing in some of your lives. I know how God's been faithful in some of your life. So, so I'm thinking of that. I'm being reminded of what God's doing for us when we come together. And we're, I know that some of you are, are fighting battles and God's being faithful. Some of you are struggling, and yet you know God's being faithful. And so we start singing His praises. I'm not just singing out of my experience. This is the value of collective, corporate worship. I'm not just singing out of my one slice of experience. I'm singing because I know something about your experience. And I know something about your story. And I know something about your faith. And I know something about how much you love the Lord. And I know something about the struggles that you're enduring and God is showing himself to be faithful. There are people in our church who have ministries that impact people around the world, around our state, around our community. And when I see them here, it stretches my worship to be so much more than when it's just me. We need times of worshiping the Lord together. And I I want to encourage you. Maybe one of the best things you can do for your worship is not just to sing more songs, but maybe it's to get to know more people. Maybe Sunday would mean more to you, not if you learned the latest worship song, but if you met a new person. Like when you come in on Sunday morning. Say hi to some people. Learn some people's names. Like know who's sitting on the row with you. And, and I don't just mean when we tell you to do it, right? Sometimes we say, hey, turn and shake hands with somebody. Hey. What, if, what if when we came together to worship, as we found our spot, whether it's the same spot or a different spot, however you do that, when we found our spot, We got to know a couple of people sitting right around us, at least their names, a little bit about them. So that when we started worshiping together, it was us. It was us worshiping, not just just me and some people I don't know. For some of us, our worship would grow if we got connected to a community group. It would grow because you would know some other stories when you came to worship. You would have been praying for somebody specifically in your group who shared a prayer request at last week's group message. So when we began to sing, that person would be on your heart and it would change your worship. For some of us, our worship would grow if we served somewhere. If we used our gifts. And in using our gifts, we met some more people because we served with some more people. And we learned to love more people. And so then when we began to sing, we were consciously aware of those people that we've come to love, and they're worshiping too. David says, yeah, I worship. Yeah, I I do it individually. I don't wait for other people, but man, I love it when we magnify the Lord together. Now, one last thing. A question after worship. You're going to get in your car, you're going to go home. You're going to spend your afternoon. What if we paused for just a second after the worship service, on the way out, once we get to the car, before we get out of our seat, whenever. What if we hit pause and reflected on this question? Was my worship today a true reflection of who God is? Like, if I think back 
to what was on my mind, to where my thoughts were. If I think back to my response, remember last week we said worship is a response to the object of our affection. When I think about my response since 9.30 this morning, since I came in this room, when I think about my response and I lift my response up next to who God is, is that a match? Did, did I respond well? To the greatness of God. David and some worship leaders, they're encouraging people to worship and they're, they're kind of giving some instructions for worship in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. And at one point, here's the instruction. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. And then this line, ascribe to the Lord the glory and do His name. Not just any glory. Not just any worship. Not just any praise. Not just any song. Not just any prayer. When you come before God. When you come to worship God. Worship in a way that's do His name. Worship in a way that is deserving of His name. What a great evaluation question. Anytime I leave worship, and, it, and it's not my place to evaluate your worship. It's not my place to evaluate Zach's worship or the band's worship or, or anybody else's worship. It's my place to ask when I leave, did I bring worship that accurately reflected who God is? Did my worship equal, as much as I know, we're lear always learning more about God and who He is and what He's like, but as much as I know, as much as my faith has grown, did, did I worship in a way that's equal to who God is? Or did I phone it in today? Was I distracted today? Was my mind on other things? Um, let's magnify the Lord together. Let's exalt His name. Let's lift up the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He's God. And on a random Sunday in the fall, a random Sunday when I was tired and when I was thinking about what's coming up next week, did I do that? Did I exalt His name in a way that's worthy of the name that I've been worshiping? God, I pray You would stir our hearts for Your worship. God, I pray You would stir our hearts for the priority of who You are. Because if we don't keep You first, if we're not exalting You, we're going to exalt things that can never satisfy our souls. We're going to exalt people who aren't capable of sustaining our joy over the long haul. Only you're capable of that. Only you're worthy of that. And God, help us, help us not just to go through the motions. Help us not just to phone it in. God, help us to respond to you because you are the object of our affection and the only one worthy of our songs and of our praise and of our prayers and of our trust. 
God, whatever little thing is trying to steal our attention right now, whatever little thing is trying to distract us from the big God that is over us, help us to push it back. God, we've got just these last few minutes last few minutes to worship you in a way that is do your name. And so help us to hold nothing back, to glorify you. I pray it in.